0: Hey everyone, welcome and welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey, because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Alright, so now we can jump in. So I'm going to start today... The question I want you to consider and think about for yourself. What does it actually mean to be true to yourself? Like what does that actually mean? Because this thing is a saying that basically has become almost like a moral ethic to live by today. Like this is something that drives us, and you hear constantly, especially the younger you are, you're going to hear this a lot. And I was reading reading an article recently by this guy, Tim. Um, Uh, Elmore and he was talking about uh, a couple that wanted him to do their wedding and the bride said that in her vows she wanted to make sure that to her groom she made a promise that she was always going to be true to herself. So Tim Elmore, uh, being pretty wise, he pushed back and he said, are you sure that you want that in your wedding vows? He said, do you actually know what that means? And then she kind of paused, and so I'll put a couple of things forward to you that I thought of, especially in light of where we are in Genesis chapter 11 today. So he asked her, he said, what about your selfish self? Do you want to be true to that in your marriage? Like, is that the promise that you're making? That when you feel selfish, that you promise your groom, your future husband, that you're going to be true to that selfish self? And of course she was like, whoa. No, I mean, that's not what I mean by that. And he was like, okay. And then he gave a couple other examples. But I, want, like, I was thinking about this myself because I thought that, like, this can be a really dangerous thing to say, but it's repeated so often, we just kind of take it for granted. But what I've learned through my life, me personally, through other people in my life, and then through even recent research and then historical research, like no matter where you go in the human story, you see that we are really, really good at lying to ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, we can justify almost anything, and there's really no limit to our self-deception. If people want something or if they want to do something, they can come up with almost any reason to justify that, even if they know it's not healthy or if it's not safe or it's good, it's illegal. I mean, whatever the thing is, like, we are really, really good at, like, taking this to the extreme and, and being dangerous. Now, I realize there can be some truth that is good behind this statement. But here's some other examples. What if you're struggling with anger? Should you just embrace that anger because you're going to be true to yourself? And when you are an angry person, you're just like, well, this is just how I am. So I'm going to be true to myself. So being violent, being aggressive, being demeaning, that's all OK because I'm just being true to myself. Or what happens when you're struggling with depression or anxiety or fear, and they're overwhelming you? Well, I'm just going to be true to myself, so I'm going to lean into that self right? Or a million other things. Like, we all struggle with this. This is a very real world issue for us to say, oh, be true to yourself. Well, what exactly does that mean? Is that actually best? Because what about your insecure self? Because our insecure selves get us to do some pretty dumb things, right? We buy things that we don't need or we can't afford because we're trying to project an image, right? We want people to know that we're wealthy or that we have money or that we have stuff. We go on vacations we can't afford because, again, we want to make sure people know these things. We speak up maybe at a meeting at work because, well, you know, my opinion needs to be heard. And then you find out, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I burned some bridges on that one. Right? Or, you ever done this? I have. Somebody starts to talk about something, and you don't know what they're talking about, but you act like you do. And they're like, oh, you know what I'm talking about? And in that moment, you both know you have no idea what they're talking about. So now you're committed. You know what I'm saying? You're committed now. Because like, you've already said, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. You can't go back and be like, actually, just pause real quick. I just lied to you. I don't know what we're talking about here. right?" Now, So now you've got to like, now I've done this before. i push pushed forward. And you keep giving like this stupid like nod and the grim. And you both for about a second are like, he doesn't know what I'm talking about. And I don't know what he's talking about. Right? I've been there. I've done that. Right? And I'm not often I've gotten much better about it. But why do I do that? It's my insecurity. My pride, right? I don't want to look like I don't know what they're talking about. When realistically, it's like there's a lot of stuff to know out there. Why would we know everything, right? But that that insecure self—Are we going to be true to that as well? Are you going to be like true to that prideful part of yourself that can be really damaging, and again, can make us do things that we shouldn't do? So the story we read today is 4,500 years old. 4,500 years old, as Lydia said, this is a really old story. But what you're going to see is the applicability to life, because people change very little, right? You look at history. That's what I loved about being a history teacher. People don't change much, right? Our technology, of course, changes a lot. But who we are, the things that we struggle with, how much? And so this story today and the idea of being true to yourself, because this is what they wanted to do in their story. And what we often do with this kind of stuff is, you know, we can, again, we can tell lies out of this space. We can do things that we shouldn't do and maybe normally wouldn't do, but we're being true to ourselves and the identity, then, that we've crafted. Now, all of a sudden, that becomes a real issue. The image that we've put forward, again, you know, whether it's maybe on social media, because that does happen a lot on social media, we craft an image that we want everybody to see, and that's what we put forward. But just as dangerous, here's what I see on Sunday mornings, or maybe in connect groups. Bible studies, outreach events through the church, is that we take that same image that we've crafted and we bring that into the space where we're supposed to be authentic. We're supposed to be vulnerable. We're supposed to be honest. That's what church should be. It's not an event that you go to and you just get dressed up to and it's just this thing you attend. Right? You are the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, right? lighting candles, baptizing people, like that's like part of the family. If that is you, you shouldn't be crafting an image and then bringing that to church. So when somebody's like, hey, how you doing? And you're just like, oh, I'm all set. My life's falling apart. But I don't even know, I'm all set, though. right? I'm not going to be vulnerable. Now, you've got to be careful, of course, who you talk to about this kind of stuff. You don't, I don't just want you to come up the stairs and be like, ah, you know, a hot mess, just screaming and yelling. You can. We'll still love you. But I recommend not doing it. Right? And so you've got to be careful how you do this and who you talk to, for real. But... Being, like, true to myself, it's like, man, if we really dissect that and think about that, it's like, is, it that, is that really the best thing for us to do? And I don't think it is because, again, what it drives and, like, what being selfish essentially is really at the heart of that. Now, there's, again, components that are good. I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to try and run around and be all these different things to all these different people. But at the same time, what am I crafting? And what am I using as a basis for my value, Right? Because people that I know that, like, struggle with themselves, hate themselves, what do I tell that person when I say, true to be, your, uh, be true to yourself? You know? Like, being true to myself if I hate myself, well, what does that mean? Like, what do we do with that if we really think these things out? Right? And again, this is what we see in Genesis chapter 11, this struggle. So this guy, Tim Elmore, I talked about earlier. There's a quote I wanted to share. Because again, what does Tim Elmore do? If you have, in any capacity in your life different generations trying to get along, Tim Elmore is the guy. So if you employ people that are younger than you or if you work for somebody older than you, Tim Elmore, what he does is he helps older generations, mainly Gen Xers and Boomers, to understand how to work with and understand Millennials and Gen Z. Right? And then you have Gen Alpha coming up now behind them. But how do those very, very different generations work together. That's what Tim Elmore does. So he gives a quote, though, about this, this tension of who we are and people and identity, and he says, each of us, especially when we're young, right, and those of you that are any kind of order, right, like above 20, you're going you're gonna to see this in your own life, wants to be seen as a unique individual. It's the struggle of adolescence, right, especially when you're younger. But it goes on into adulthood, obviously. We yearn to express ourselves, to make a statement, and to be our own person, right? Again, these are ideas that are strong as adolescents and teens, but especially as adults. And then he finishes up and he says, in fact, America celebrates the independent maverick spirit. And this is historically 100% true. It's the idea that our nation was founded on. It's why for so long we've had just this fascination with pioneers and cowboys and going west and all that kind of stuff. It's like this is the idea, this independent maverick spirit that we're built off of. But I think you can make a pretty decent argument that in America, it's also what's killing us. Because we're so individualized, we're so individualistic, that we've lost sense of community. We've lost sense of the value of being poured into by other people and shaped by other people. And then just the, the, the feelings we have about church and about God and about authority, it's like, I don't want that speaking into my life. What right do you have to speak into my life? It's like, and that's, that's kind of like, it's just, we're all kind of stoked in that. Right? Some more so than others. And so stepping into this story today, we see kind of where we come from and then how we are culturally. And then God stepping into their story 4,500 years ago and then struggling with the same exact things we do today. God, I don't need you. What I need is what I say is best. But again, knowing what's best for us is really, really hard. And a lot of times we get it really, really wrong. Right? Like in, in our lives, we can. We think something will make us happy. You get it and you're like, Oh, man. Oops. That was a big waste of time. Right? Um, D.L. Moody said, uh, the biggest fear in our lives shouldn't be failure. It should be succeeding in something that doesn't matter. Right? Giving yourself to something that really is just selfish and it's just pointless. And it's like, do well, succeed, do everything with excellency. But make sure that you have your eyes on your creator. You have your eyes on community. And they didn't in this story. Right? The, and this is, again, the, the soup that we swim in, so to speak. And so the idea I want us just to hear today, this very human idea of just struggling with God and his influence in our lives. So don't let your own identity contend with God's authority. Now this is like, oh, God's authority, like that. But what was happening in this story is the same tension that we feel today. Lord, I just want to do what I want to do, and I don't want you speaking into my life. Now, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a little bit, you're like, well, I would never say anything like that. But the problem is you live that way. You live in a way that says, "Lord, I just want to do my own thing, right?" And so, and again, I'm speaking obviously, hopefully to Christians here. You know, and not everybody is a Christian. I understand that, but if if you say I put my faith in Christ, like I, I think that He knows best, but will I live that way? Will I instead like follow after my Savior? And this is what am I going to build my identity off of? Because I've just seen this play out, and we'll talk a little bit more as we go. But the ultimate good and goal of my life can't be being just true to myself, because that's all about me, and it takes out God's influence, takes out community influence. But again, saying it is one thing, but living it is a much different scenario. Whether I'm a teenager, whether I'm in my 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way up to in my 80s, it doesn't matter. And the, the what I see, the tension, again, the tension I constantly see in these early chapters of Genesis is, just thinking about the, the consequences of choices. And so the question that we've been wrestling with for this series, this part of the series, I should say, in Genesis, talking thinking about the consequences of my sins impact my day-to-day choices. Now, why that sounds like a heavy question, but again, this is what we see over and over and over again in the early chapters of Genesis. And this next one here is something that's hard to wrestle with. Look at this. Your life is the sum of little choices you make every single day. If I get on a bus to Chicago, where should I expect to end up? Chicago. I'd be, I'd be pretty much in the right if I landed up in Daytona, Florida, right? But my ticket says Florida, right? or it doesn't say Florida, it says Chicago. Like, what's up with that, right? And so, But our lives, though, we don't live that way. Gosh, how do I get so out of shape? Well, maybe for ten years you've not been doing anything to take care of yourself, right? Why am I so angry? Well, because little by little by little, you've been letting that control you. You know, why do I this? Why do I that? What happened to my marriage? Why did I get fired? Why do my friends not want to talk to me? Why, 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 why? Well, lots of little choices every day, right? That's how. Or how did I get in such good shape, right? How how do I have control of my finances finally? That's why we did Financial Peace University. How do I do this? Why is my marriage so great? Why do my kids love me so much? Why, 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 why? Well, because you've done a lot of good things. You made lots of good choices, little by little by little. But it's something that's easy to overlook today especially, like we just want things really quickly. But this is what you see over and over and over again in Genesis, and it's, it's heavy, right? So as we jump into this, um, a quick reminder to, to give us an idea of where we are here. So in Genesis chapter 10, I didn't do, I spared you that, because in Genesis chapter 10 we see this picture happen. Don't worry about all the words. But it's just this son had this son, had this son, had this son, and they moved here, and then they had this son and this son and this son. I thought you guys probably didn't want to hear all that. So I just showed a picture instead. This is basically what's happening in Genesis ten. You have one son of Noah, Ham kind of going down there in northern Africa, one Arabian Peninsula, Shem, and then the other one southern Europe and then pushing out east, right? And so this is kind of how the story of Genesis ten breaks up. Genesis chapter 11 happens during this chapter, so it can be kind of confusing. You read Genesis 10, and it's like, okay, that happened, and then now we're on chronologically to 10, chapter 11, but that's not actually how it's written. Chapter 11 actually happens about halfway through Genesis chapter 10. So I just wanted to kind of orient us to what we're what we're going to be seeing here. But today's message, uh, control freak, is what I've uh, titled it. This is what I see in these people. Lessons from Babble. So don't raise your hand, but who in here is a control freak? As in, like, I have to be hands-on with everything. Now, the question I want you to ask yourself is we all have moments of being a control freak, but some of us live our lives that way. Why is that? Plain and simple, I can do it better than you. Right? That's what being a control freak is. For example, do I let my children mow the grass? No, I do not. Why not? Because the lines need to be straight, and I cannot look in the yard and see them not straight. Have I ever let them mow the grass? No. Have I taught them how to mow the grass? No. So will Kyle ever get a break from mowing the grass? No. Right. So when you're a control freak, it may seem like a good thing, but that's not the best right? Investing in other people is the best, right? I've heard it said before, I think John Maxwell said, if you can find somebody that can do something that's 60% as good as you, let them do it and then train them up to maybe 80 or 90%, right? Because the goal is to be investing in other people, right? That's the Christian model, to be bringing others along behind us. Because what if I did that as your pastor? I know some guys that I respect, but that are absolute control freaks as pastors. And who does everything in church? They do. Who gets burned out at their church? They do. Who gets bitter against the people that won't help in his church? They do, right? And so my job as your pastor is to invest in you. It's not about Kyle. It's about me being a lead servant in our church and giving away influence, right? Giving away opportunities. Giving away the roles that you've all been called to fulfill in the church, right, and in your community. But I can see that in my own life, and I can see it in the lives of others. Now... Here's another question, though. Are you a control freak with God? Well, no, obviously not. I know God's in charge. Right, we say that. But in your life, how often do you say, well, Lord, I know maybe what you said, how I should act here, what I should say or not say. I know that this, this job choice or this extracurricular choice or this thing with my kids or this class that I want to take or this team I want to be on, I know this is probably going to wreck my soul, but am I going to do it anyway? I know I shouldn't be watching this, but it's just a TV show. It's just a movie. It's just music. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just. Right? And so there's lots of things. I'm just trying to, like, spread it out wide enough so we can all find something. Because there's those points in our life where I say, Lord, I just don't want you bugging me. Right? Like, that's, that's we can find ourselves in those places. And that's what you're going to see in here. And the reason I love this story, it's 4,500 years old. But look at the three things that they're struggling with in this story. Control, personal identity and fame. These three issues are still huge today, especially with the advent of social media and the internet. Like these three things, personal identity and fame, man, and then just having control of my life is really what you see these people struggling with in this story. And this is still a very 21st century issue. And another thing I'd like you to consider with this story is it's written as a poem. And it's important to know that this story is written written poetically and in Hebrew. It's in a style of poetry called a chiasm, right? And so if you look at it, it's not how it would have been written, but it's done this way so you can see the flow of this. The very top line is going to be mirrored in the last line. The second line, verse 2, is going to be mirrored in verse 8. Verse 3 mirrored in verse 7, so on and so forth. And the hinge of this whole poem, this whole story, is verse 5. The Lord came down. So here is them building their plans, doing their thing, the evil that they're trying to do, which we'll explain in a second, the Lord intervening, and then reversing all of the evil things that they were trying to do, right? So it is important to understand, like, okay, this is written poetically for a reason. It's a compare and contrast style of writing poetry, right? So they're trying to make a point that centers on God coming down and then reversing the plans that they had, okay? So let's jump in. Now we have a little understanding of where we are, when we are, and uh, how this been written. Verse 1, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. So Moses writing this, setting it up, like where are we, what are we? And again, it's happening during this map that I showed you in chapter 10, right? This is the developing story as this chapter is unfolding. Because, and the reason we know that is because this next verse, um, yep. So one chapter earlier in chapter 10, about halfway through, this guy Peleg he's talking about. And it says, for in his days the earth was divided. Well, why was it divided? What happened? That's chapter 11. So chapter 11 is just an explanation of this little historical note that's in chapter 10. And the whole world had one language. We don't know how much of the whole world. It could have been just that picture that I showed you. It could have been that whole world or it could have been literally the whole world. We don't know. It doesn't matter. A huge swath of the world, a bunch of people were sharing the same language. But then there was this division. And chapter uh, 11 explains why. So then another historical note. Again, Moses giving us context. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. So the people, again, already spreading out the picture in Chapter 10, and the location of this place. If you're wondering, well, where is Babylon? This picture here, it's always hard to see maps on these screens, but in the center, you've got the red pen. That's Iraq, right, the center country there. You've got the Mediterranean, your left, Persian Gulf, bottom right. Uh, I personally have been here um, to this actually specific place. And it was interesting because I was reading my Bible there, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh, this is like, this is here. Like, I'm literally in the place where this happened. It was like, it's such an amazing thought for me that I'm looking around and reading these stories, and I'm like, oh, I see what this looks like. I feel what this looks like. And that's where God really began my journey toward ministry, was in that moment. At first, I thought it was going to be teaching, but I remember clear as day, it was just this thought popped into my head, I'm going to be a history teacher. And my next thought was, I was a terrible student. I shouldn't do that. Right? But it was really strong, and God was just like, this is where you're headed. And so then this began this whole journey of me, you know, eventually being here before you. But it all started right there that little pin is, 40 miles south of Baghdad. All right? So that's where we are kind of geographically. Now, the, verse 3, though. So, then they said, let's come together and make oven-fired bricks. So they used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. It could seem like kind of a useless note, but it's actually a geographical and historically accurate note that Moses is making here, which is cool for us, too, to know that this is like the real deal. Because in this part of the world, they don't have big rock quarries like they do in Israel. Israel, they build these big buildings. The Romans, big buildings because they've got rocks to quarry. This part of the world, they don't. They've got a bunch of sand. So how are you going to do what verse 4 is going to talk about if you don't have bricks, if you don't have something to build up? You can't build multi-story buildings without bricks. So this is an accurate historical note about this time, 2400-ish BC. So he gives us that note, and then he gives us verse 4. And then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower, or a ziggurat is probably what that was, with its top in the sky. So what is this ziggurat, ziggurat, what does that look like? So this possibly, most likely, is what they were talking about building. So why is this such a big deal? They wanted to build a skyscraper, so what? It's not just that it was a big deal. The issue was, and the whole thinking behind these types of buildings, is there's two temples built into these things. One on top, as you can see, and one on the bottom where the ramps are. So the one on top was so that they can go be on equal footing with God, right? They're gonna put themselves in God's space and then they're gonna worship whomever and whatever that they want to worship in that space. So it was a spiritually arrogant statement that they're making, right? God is not that much bigger or better than us. We can build a temple right up in his space, in his backyard, and do and worship whatever we want. So that's really what's being said here, and that was the purpose of this. It was a place of worship. And Isaiah, he would uh, comment on this. 1,500 years later, he condemns another Babylonian king. 1,500 years after this event, and he says, look, I'm gonna, this king wants to set himself apart, right? He's gonna build a throne above the stars of God. He's gonna sit on the mount of the God's assembly And so he's speaking to a Babylonian king, but he's speaking through him also to the power behind him. But this issue is still an issue 1,500 years after the event that we're reading in Babylon. Still an issue. Still an issue for us. So it's just a very human issue. I'm going to take control and live my life as I see fit. So, again, let's speak a little bit more to what they were thinking. Let's make a name for ourselves, they said in the second half of verse 4. Otherwise, we're going to be scattered throughout the earth. Basically, we need to get famous, we need to establish ourselves so that we don't have to listen to God. Genesis 1, he's already said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Genesis 9, repeated it. These guys essentially saying, if we can get enough fame, if we can make our own identity, craft our own story, we won't have to listen to what God has said. That's the issue at stake here. It's not just a building, it's them putting themselves on equal footing with God so that they won't need God anymore. Not something that we would maybe say out loud, but something certainly that we would think and and, and do, right? Like subconsciously, and then what that makes us do and the way I live my life doesn't say that God's in charge or that I'm in charge. This is the tension that we're struggling with with these people. So then the hinge point, right? Verse 5, then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. Just like with Adam and Eve, he steps down into their presence to let them know that he is there. And then he says, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. It's not just human accomplishment. Again, it's, it's the, the spiritual pride here. It's the arrogance here. It's what we all see on the news. It's what we've seen in history. It's our capacity for evil seems to have no bounds and lots of time during history. It's like, what in the world is going on with people? It's like, what in the world is happening online? What in the world is happening in malls, in schools, in playgrounds, in sporting events all over our country? Man, we seem to lost our way. Like, what's happening? And it's like, God says, like, if they're going to be united in this evil attempt, there's no end to the evil that they'll be able to accomplish. Just like Genesis 3, right? I mean, one generation later, after Adam and Eve, you got the kids killing each other. What, what, again, what is that that's in us that we see in history? We can all try to say, hey, we all have goodness inside of us. We, Hey, we have a light inside of us. We have holiness inside of us. We all have, we're all basically good. And it's like, man, I do really want to believe that. But, man, when I look at the historical record, when I look at at the world around me, it's like, man, we tend to lean the other way. We tend to lean that other way and sometimes way the other way. And And God is addressing that issue with these people. So, Then the Lord steps in again. He says, So let's go down, right? That Trinitarian view of God, let's go down there, right here in Genesis, and confuse their language so they won't be able to understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. It's like God said, Look, get out of here and do what I told you to do. He doesn't wipe them out. He just says, Go, go and do what you're supposed to do fill the earth, right? This is part of the blessing of the earth. Go and fill the earth. And what's interesting is this is echoed in if you're a Christian, This idea is echoed in your life as well. Because here's what Jesus Christ said to do. If you're a Christian, go and tell people about Jesus. That could be actually sharing the gospel with somebody. It could just be like praying over somebody, like with them, and it's awkward, but try it, it's awesome. It could be inviting them to church. It could be inviting them to a small group or a connect group or a Bible study or something. Like allowing a person to get into the sphere of Jesus and His people is a big deal. But a lot of Christians just say, "No, I'm not going to do that. I don't have the answers. I'm too scared. What if they reject me? A million other answers. I won't do that." And it's not new to you either. I mean, it's like and I suffer from the same thing sometimes. But what you see in the New Testament. Jesus' disciples also refused to go. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Acts 1.8, I'm going to empower you so that you can go and share the hope of Jesus with the world. They won't do it. So God, boom, persecution in the church. They lose their homes, and now they have to go because they're run out of their own country. And that's the only time that the disciples actually need to go and share the gospel to the ends of the earth, as they were told to do, is when God finally brings persecution and forces them to go. So again, there's this tension of like, God, I know what you said to do, but I don't want to do it in my own life. I don't want to step into that. I don't want to go. I don't want to listen. I don't want to do. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to love that person, and I'm certainly not going to take that risk. You know, we can all find ourselves in that list. And I know what the right thing to do is, but I'm just not going to do it. Again, it's a tension that's there for all of us. So what is the name they've made for themselves? That was the thing they said they wanted to do, was a, make a name for themselves. Therefore, verse 9, It's called Babylon, or in Hebrew, Babel. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. And now, Babel sounds like the Hebrew word Balal, which means confused. So God steps into their story, and this is where I think the danger is, but also the connection point for us. If we define our lives by being true to ourselves and trying to build our own identity, we are going to end up potentially just confused. Because I watch people try to build identity around their job, right? Just talk to the guy this week. You know, I never thought I was identifying by my job. I never thought that that was where my identity was, how much a part of me that was, and it didn't dictate anything to me. And then I retired, and then I didn't know who I was, right? And it was like, it's, it's easy to find ourselves by your kids, in your school, by your friends, by Snapchat, right? By not being applied to, right? That's a big deal for a teenager, for young people. Not to be applied to, good night. You know, but so how do we not define ourselves by all these things? And they just leave us feeling confused because everybody's like, oh, yeah, we don't know our gender. We don't know this. And I'm like, man, most dads don't know who they are as a dad. They're struggling because they were never guided as a dad, right? We struggle with how we look, how athletic we are, how smart I am. So I lie like an idiot and smile like I know what I'm talking about, right? Because I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to feel that insecurity. I don't want to have my pride. I don't want to have what I identify as, be challenged. So then I'll do what I can to hold on to that. And then if we're not careful, we end up being confused. The things that we identify ourselves by just leave us feeling empty. And if you're a Christian today, it's even worse because you should know what you identify as. As a follower of Jesus first, to say and what that means is I know I'm a child of God, as Megan said in her video. I know that I don't have to chase my tail at every stage of my life, because if you do as a teenager, and if you do as a young adult, and if you do as a parent or maybe a young adult that's a little bit older now, or if you do as a middle-aged adult and then an older adult, every stage of life is going to give you something to chase to find your identity in. And I believe we have a country full of people that are really confused because they're chasing the next best thing. As a Christian, somebody that follows God. I'm like, no, he says I've been given all I need to succeed in this world. He's told me what the standard is for my conduct. He's told me that I need to work hard and and honor my elders, as we saw in today's passage. That I need to live in humility. I need to live in relationship with people. I need to be extravagantly loving and forgiving and on and on and on. Like, I know who I am because of Jesus, because he's told me. He's told me. But there's still that inside of me that just wants to push it away. And it's like, well, I just end up confused you. So this idea, though, this is not a small idea. God is constantly trying to bring things back to Eden. He's constantly trying to bring things back into order, back to a sense of peace, and back to a sense of unity. And this language thing gets echoed all across the Bible. And so this is, again, not a small issue that just stays stuck, because we still, 4,500 years later, are using the word Babel, right? The Babel language tool. It's like if you act now, you can get the full package, the lifetime package of all 14 languages for one low price. I just saw that yesterday. So. But if somebody's babbling, they're going on and on and on, not making sense, right? My hope is that I don't do that too often when I speak to you, right? But that's what it means, right? You're babbling, you're just you're kind of talking and not making any sense. So this, this story weighs heavily on us. But all the way to the end, let's, let's uh, jump to the Acts 2 passage. In the Old Testament, Zephaniah, he talks about this pure speech being reto- restored. And then in Acts chapter 2, he actually does it. God like, does this amazing miracle with Peter and the disciples. And it says, when the Holy Spirit came, a crowd comes together, and they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. It's this restoration, right, of a common language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these people Galileans? Right, so they should be speaking a different language. How is it that each of us can hear them in our own language? native language. God's making a powerful statement about himself, that the gospel of Jesus brings unity. And in Revelation, uh, you can go there if you want, Revelation 7, we won't hit it today, but in Revelation 7, you see this unity of the people of God. You see this very diverse people of God, but also you see this restoration of unity in Christ. And so again, he's like always drawing things back to unity, but there's so many things pulling us away from that. And so again, I want to close this with that idea that I don't want you to let your identity contend with God's authority. And what that means is that, God, I don't care what you want. I just want to do what I want to do. And I'm going to chase everything that my life gives me to center my identity around. Job, kids, insecurity, right? Being true to yourself. Are you going to be true to your impatient self? Are you going to be true to your selfish self, your insecure self, your doubtful, your lazy, You're depressed, your anxious self? Like, which one of those selves are you going to be true to? Are you just going to be true to them in the moment? Are you going to say, as a follower of Christ, or even if you're not, that there's something better, there's something more definitive, and that is being under God's authority. But man, we chase against that today. 21st century, we chase against the word authority. But it's like, in in God's goodness, can I submit to what he says is best? Or do I, like the people of Babel, just maybe say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way, right? I did it my way. Like, yeah, you did. But what's best? And is it really best to be true to ourselves? Or is it maybe best to be under the authority of God and stop chasing everything that gives us, the world gives us for our identity? So they pray on that. Lord, would you help us? Uh, this is not an easy road to walk in this life, Lord. And, and it's really hard not to go through each and every phase and try to find our identity in like a hundred things of that phase of life, Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, again, whatever stage we're in, for students that we're not going to try to find it in friends and grades and school, likes, Lord, responses, like whatever the thing is at that stage, Lord. And then as we begin to get a little bit older, what that stage is going to bring, or relationship stuff, job stuff, career stuff, Lord, whatever the thing might be, God, I pray that you would help us, Jesus, to, to really understand what it means to have identity in you and not keep trying to pull the reins out of your hands, Lord, but to know that we do have identity. But I don't know where this lands, Lord. I mean, there's a lot of places this can land in our lives, Lord, and I just pray, Jesus, right now, that you do the work that only you can do. However this fits with us, Lord, I pray you do that work. And this morning, Lord, if somebody doesn't know you as Savior, God, I just want to give you that time, whether they're watching, whether they're in the room, God, would you help them to find clarity today, Lord. I'm just praying for a freedom right now for them to ask somebody what that means to have you as Savior today, Lord. Let the, today be the day of salvation. For those of us that know you, Lord, let today be the day of freedom. But maybe we need to release it something. We need to give a little more control to you, Lord. We need to start taking these steps in that direction. But again, Lord, I just I just want the best for these people here, people watching, Lord Jesus. And I give that to you, into your loving hands, your gracious hands, Jesus. And I pray that in your name, Lord. And as church said, Amen. God bless. I love being here with you guys. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at Quabogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.